Welcome back to While We Are On The Subject with Aaron and Ryan, the show that makes politics fun again. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode, long overdue episode, uh, While We're On The Subject. I'm here with the always famous, always cheerful, the inveterate Ryan Bethay. Say hello, Ryan. Inveterate? I am the director of inveterate affairs. I think inveterate, if I recall, means quite stubborn, specifically in habit. Is that correct? I believe that is correct, but you are the wordsmith. There's just so many words always rolling out of your mouth. Mm. Well, with that kind of praise, it makes me want to crawl into a vug. A vug. (laughs) A vug is a deep cavity in a rock or a mountain that's lined with crystals. So, Next time you're lonely, it's because you're stuck in a vug. She had vugs like a what? 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 Anyways, that was from the poet Cisco. Not Cicero, Cisco. But we're not here today to talk about dictionaries or th- th- thesauri. Is that how you say it? What's a plurus for plurus? What is the plural? A thesaurus was an ancient dinosaur that roamed around <laughs> in the Triassic period, and he would correct other dinosaurs' grammar. <laughs> Uh, we, we have, uh, we've been, uh, you know, busy with work, uh, traveling a lot. And, uh, that's why we have been unable to, to get some episodes out, out to y'all. Uh, Ryan, what have you been up to? Well, I actually went to, uh, Canada, Aaron. Oh, eh? I did. And, uh, it was, it's funny. I, a lot of people apologize to me and I should have been apologizing, but, uh, I got to say three things that I love about Canada. One, beautiful country. Absolutely stunning, stunning, beautiful country. Went to Niagara Falls, uh, which was really fun. And uh, people, I'm going to make a shameless joke here. Aaron, the view of Niagara Falls is better from Canada or from America? What do you think? I should, when you said that, I was the first thought that came to mind. I was like, "Oh wait, that's like a very American falls, right? Like America puts its stamp on that and be like, hey, yeah, that's our falls.'" But it's actually on, isn't it mostly on the Canadian Canadian side? I know it's like it's, in the middle. It is, and the view is better from Canada. And do you know why? Uh, because they're like the, the hat on top of the party. Because they're looking at America. Oh. Uh, no, but honestly, it was a beautiful, beautiful visit. Uh, if anyone has not gone to Niagara Falls, um, the problem is, as I was doing my Trump impression, I kept calling it Viagra Falls, <laughs> um, and so that was. Not appropriate. Uh, you should talk to your doctor before visiting Viagra Falls. Um, but uh, it's just stunning. Beautiful. And uh, we had ice wine up there. So did you know that there are vineyards up in the Ontario region? There are tons of wineries. So so the, the fruit gets like frozen? And is that how the it gets fermented like it's it was so um, i was up there looking for the king in the north and i would shout that um and i so then i was like oh i'm sorry that's inappropriate it was a prime minister of the north um and we had ice wine which is the grapes freeze over preserve some of the sugar gets concentrated and it makes this super sweet wine uh that's actually i think sweeter than a port and it's delicious so i was shocked i did not know grapes could survive uh in that frigid cold temperature but they can and there's lots of wineries it's very cool so Highly recommend it. Uh, Canadian Tourism Board, you can thank me later. You can wire me Canadian dollars. Also, Canadian currency, if you smell it, I'm not joking. I know this sounds crazy, but it smells like maple. The currency is scented. 
that's probably a, a subtle nudge from the government to support the main industry, right? Which is syrup. That's right. It's uh, it could be a uh, it's, it's actually kind of uh, priming. They're using the latest behavioral science, and and as we know, scent is the most powerful because it bypasses. Uh, certain regions of the brain and goes directly uh, into the innermost regions. So we know that um, uh, we know that that's actually a big deal. So scent is powerful, and yeah, all, my theory was because the currency is you know slightly depreciating against the dollar that the scent makes up for the gap. I mean, sure, it's only worth seventy five cents of the dollar, but it smells awesome. Yeah, I mean our our money of always. I mean, I I can't even. I wonder, do we have any money actually in my cat or in my wallet? Because uh, I, I hardly ever carry cash. Uh, and I always viewed cash as like really dirty, like, you know, like coins to also have like that weird metal dirty smell to it. Uh, so whenever everything started going digital, I was more than happy to, to, to switch over. Uh, even though studies have shown that when you use digital means of buying something like credit cards or even something like Venmo, that you usually increase your spending uh, at a maximum up to 20%. And that when you use cash, you actually spend less amount. So I've I've actually been been uh, traveling as well. Uh, been all over the country. Been working on projects for Lincoln, and uh, we've been helping lots of other liberty freedom groups around the nation with uh, technology technology problems. And uh, we actually have a couple of really interesting events out coming up in Silicon Valley. And uh, it's been yeah, it's been it's been nice. I also took my first ever visit to Alaska, which I guess is the sort of awkward. Uh, nephew of Canada, and that was a majestic state. I mean, it's just it's just an unbelievable, unbelievable place. And could you see Russia from your house? Uh, technically, you can, but you have to go all the way to the very end. And, and most people don't know, like in the Aleutian Islands, we actually were invaded in World War II. It was like the last remaining three islands uh, on uh, in the Aleutian chain, uh, and then from there, you actually can see Russia. Uh, but no, we were in um, Anchorage. And one of the interesting things about uh, flying actually to alaska is that all the flights generally speaking uh leave in between like midnight and like 3 a.m so when i arrived uh because it takes like five or six hours to get there from california got there like 11 p.m 11 30 and the airport was like packed like everyone was there and it was like all those places were open and then my friend who picked me up uh and also because at the time time of time of year uh the sun didn't set so it was like 11 p.m and it was basically sort of like sunset uh, and he goes, yeah, like the airport is really busy. And he said, yeah, the, all the flights leave, uh, in between like midnight and two thirty, um, because they want to get to Seattle for all the rest of the, all the rest of the legs. Uh, it was just, it was just interesting how y- you, you would not think that, uh, and you just wouldn't think that would be an outcome of like being so far away, uh, from the continental U S. Wow. That is interesting. I need to go to Alaska. A lot of people wish I would go to Alaska and not return. So I think we should do a while we're on the subject of Alaska because that would be really fun. Um, but uh, I'm glad you had a great trip. You can go visit Aaron's pictures at AaronDoesAlaska.com and uh, you'll see lots of lots of really interesting stuff. But even more interesting than Aaron's travels, even more interesting than the scent of a Canadian dollar is the turnover and the intrigue of the White House. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. I mean, at this rate, Melania is next to get replaced. I mean, who's up for first lady after this? That's what I want to know, Aaron. Yeah, yeah, it, it's a, it's exhausting. I mean, the the constant intrigue and 
arguments and leaks and it's it's all the stuff that relates that doesn't really pertain to uh what he's actually trying to do as president it's all this this almost like personality issues and an inability to uh control the things that he's trying to say and let alone not learning from the fact that the media does unfairly uh criticize him and I mean, the 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 studies that have been done regarding media bias is it's very apparent, but he still like walks into it every time. Let alone that the the White House itself, even if internally does not operate the way that it seems like it is on the outside, which is sort of chaotic. There there's no attempt to even try to beat back that narrative, right? Outside of just sending out you know Sarah Huckabee uh, and Kellyanne to say, oh, it's not like that. Well, why why do you give opportunity? to which people can just take something and, and overly criticize it. So it's just constant frustration because uh, it, it's not tactically the things that he's actually doing. It's just the things that sort of are ephemeral to being in the office of like a random speech or a random tweet or someone else leaks something. It's not anything so far as change regarding you know policy that any like normal other Republican would have probably done. It's, it's all this external crap that you know clogs the people's minds in in and that's what they that's what they focus and that's what they they remember yeah it just this is so frustrating because there seems to be so many opportunities where you could have policy tax reform healthcare reform i mean as much as we may or may not disagree or agree with obama's healthcare policy he went out and marketed that for a year it feels like there's just this arrogance in the White House of like, I'm just going to go out and campaign and everything's going to be amazing. Um, and it's going to, and it hasn't worked out. And uh, we have not seen any major policy accomplishments. I mean, I hate to say it, but there's some positive stuff in, in the global front, which we'll get into uh, foreign policy. I, ironically, my, my theory is that uh, for, for foreign policy success, sometimes you need um, a leader who is fit and ideal for game theory. Um, I would argue that the perfect foil to Kim Jong-un and a rogue uh, nuclear North Korea is probably Trump. I mean, it's also, I'm sure these guys are looking over going, man, no one, we, they can't, you talk about unpredictable. Maybe that's part of the strategy. Yeah. Our enemies have no idea who's going to be negotiating on the other side of the table <laughs> anymore. Uh, it, I was thinking of uh, Blazing Saddles, that scene where the uh, the sheriff turns the gun on himself and threatens to to kill himself. And everyone goes, no, 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 don't do that. And I'm going, when Trump started attacking Jeff Sessions, I was like, that is maybe just one of the most brilliant moves. They're like, man, this guy's so crazy. He's attacking his own attorney general. And everyone's like, wait, hold off. Don't do anything. Well, I mean, well, this is this is crazy. Well, it's like that that he's playing Game of Thrones with his own team. Right? It's not it's not Game of Thrones as if, you know, you're the Boltons versus the Starks. It's like it's almost like maybe more like the the Lannister family. The Lannister family is going after each other, and that's that's kind of like what um, Trump is doing, uh, and and it, it's 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 crazy annoying. So like you know today uh, today which is uh, Friday uh, the eighteenth, uh, it we learned that Steve Bannon's out and uh, Bannon's gone, dude. Okay, is this positive or negative for the Trump White House? Is this overdue, Aaron? Uh, what do you what do you think about what's the big what's the main takeaway of Bannon's departure? I, I take most humans as a mixed bag because we all are. And I'd say the one thing that he loses is first, there's a lot of rumors that 
he was the cause of all the leaks and things like that. He was targeting people in, in the White House. I think everyone in the White House is generally leaking uh, information and not any one, just, just one person. They're, everyone was using it as a weapon against each other. Uh, the, the the sad thing I think that he that Trump loses uh, is the the populism side, which I think that is like why he he won uh, was his emphasis of elites versus the average Joe, and that is the message that Bannon took in uh, and like you know is is a, is a big champion of. I would say that the 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 so that, I think that's a loss, uh, not only a loss from from my own like political perspective, but but also a loss from the who actually who who voted Trump into into the White House although I do think that he Trump will retain the sort of combativeness that Bannon carries with him anyway so I don't think that I think that's more of like a a moot uh that thing doesn't change I'd say the gains that he has is that Bannon has been a distraction like you don't want your your senior staffers to have so much attention paid to them and in in a way that is that is removing from the message, even though you could argue the president himself does that enough, so <laughs> you don't need an additional person doing yeah. that. And and oh. I and I also think the first sign that that Bannon was on the way out is when Bannon commented. Also, he did, also did to Comey about the attention that he was getting, saying that oh, Bannon was more famous than he was. That's sort of the first sign that like all right, Trump's thinking about you being fired pretty soon. You could see Wormtongue like whispering into Trump's ear. You know, it's like Bannon's getting the attention, and Trump's like, "Yeah, Steve, what's going on? Are you leaking?" And he's like, "I just question my liege." <laughs> so I don't, I don't know who Wormtongue is in this, but I mean, I they got to do some here. The hope was that with Kelly taking over as uh, chief of staff, and uh, may he rest out of the White House. Uh, we we miss Scaramucci quite a bit. Um, I know you do. A, that was a fun. That was a fun time. Uh, a brief time and now it's gone it's been taken from us but i think that uh, they've got to fix this communications uh, problem they have i this is what is so frustrating about the trump presidency is that it's it's the the public gives him this free pass at some level right i mean he has said awful awful things that you shouldn't be allowed to say and still make it to 1600 pennsylvania avenue i mean there are Going back to the old days with, you know, when in the beginning of the campaign, I mean, he has said horrendous things and people have still been, you know, by the results of the election, he still had enough people go, you know what, like I, I'm going to take everything that comes with Trump. Like there's, there's, you know, there's good and bad, but we've seen a lot of bad on display. And I'm personally so frustrated that we, uh, we just, there seems like such a squandered opportunity and specifically his inability to just stay on message, unify the country and, you know, just because, I mean, the president's our branding officer and it's this is in the wake of specifically everything that's going on right now. All this turmoil, inability to run the ship, people coming in and out of his life uh, and into the administration. I, it just we haven't done we haven't had any major policy. This seems to be I, Aaron, is he is he going to finish the term? I, I asked this not as a, as, a, as a facetious question, but there are a lot of people saying that he might not even finish this. Is that an overblown statement or obviously we can't write anybody off. You know, it's way too early to do that. But uh, do you think that he's going to have trouble finishing? I, I highly doubt that he is the type of person that's going to just resign. Uh, I mean, the other option is, is I, I think I, I highly doubt the re- resign. Uh, then again, I mean, from Scaramucci uh, to, 
Steve Bannon to all the other crazy things that like have have been going on. You know, Ryan's being fired, Sean, like et cetera. Like th- this is nothing's out of the ordinary anymore. So you, have, you know, within context. So, but I highly doubt that that he would he he would resign. The other option is this. You know, the Maxine Waters effort to get him impeached, uh, which is I, by Christmas. Yes, by by Christmas, which is again. Uh, with the with the constitutional process and such a big deal, but removing the president and having like a state goal shows how partisan and and ill ill advised I think that the, this move would be. And, and every major constitutional uh, scholar that that I follow, um, you know, people like Alan Dershowitz, et cetera, who are all, but most of them all uh, Democrats, uh, and also like the one is it Jonathan Turley from from Virginia. Uh, they have, they have all said that, and they're all liberals. They're like, this would be a gross misuse of impeachment, and I mean, because impeachment doesn't imply people are incorrect. It doesn't necessarily imply something illegal. Uh, like there's no, doesn't you don't actually need to break any statutes to actually fall underneath impeachment, uh, and and removal from office. Uh, that can be just done at the uh, at the uh, you know two thirds of, of both houses. However, like it was never intended to be used as a political instrument to because you just don't like him and like doesn't like the president. Um, it is a political process. It is the act of like actually going through and like it is all political. I mean, it's, it's not really like a, a a legal or criminal matter. But the intention was that it was it, it was designed to to be a, a, a tool to be used for like an, a, um, a a criminal minded minded president. And I, I just don't I, I haven't seen anything. I think that reaches uh, to that point. Plus, Maxine Waters herself has a very poor track record of one being intellectually honest, but two also being corrupt. Like she was labeled the one of the most corrupt congresswoman uh, by a liberal group. Uh, I think like ten or twelve years ago. So she she's not a person that could be standing up on 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 some pedestal. And and her her arguments continue to increasingly increasingly become outlandish and crazy and, and not based in reality, which you could argue maybe is the whole entire whole entire regressive slash progressive movement now is sort of losing its mind and is is existing in some you know alternative reality where where Trump is is controlling everything in their life and anything that they anything that they see or read or touch has been somehow negatively tainted by him. Well, we try to obviously on this show keep a, a centrist, you know, a balanced perspective. I was going to say fair and balanced, but that's not what I was going to say. Trademark. <laughs> uh, trademark, sorry. But so let's let's walk through the calculus. Say you are on the left. Do you want to impeach Trump? I mean, it's on so is the argument that you know, Trump actually has a lot of sympathies from a policy standpoint. If we can step away from Trump's enormous shortcomings and abysmal communications strategy uh, and just the the awful way he handled everything this week. Um, let's walk through your you're Chuck Schumer. Uh, do you want would you rather have Trump in office or would you want a Mike Pence in office? What do you think, Aaron? I, I, I would think that hmm, that's a that's a that's a hard that's a hard that's a hard calculus and I personally I think actually Schumer probably wants Trump in office both that is an easier target politically because they don't have to talk about policy or real things they can just complain and whine and and say he's a bad person even though uh, I I grant Schumer who actually have had I think within the Democratic Party has a higher 
bar for ideas and criticisms than than other other senators. Like I think he's he's a, he's he's a higher grade than let's say Harry Reid, um, and he's been commenting publicly about how the Democrats need to move beyond Trump, actually present ideas, and that they need to drop this whole thing that Hillary lost because of Russia. Hillary lost because she didn't have a message that resonated with America, and she was a terrible candidate. Now, granted. The other side was also terrible as well in in different ways, uh, but again, it, there was at least one side that was running on a clear message that was resonating with the states um, that he need that needed to win to put him over the electoral college. So she didn't because she mainly ran on issues that appealed to New York, LA, and San Francisco. So Schumer is actually talking about those ideas. So give him credit for that. Whether or not it should be Pence or 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 Trump, but I, I would think Trump would be the the place you want to be as as a democrat i think actually probably more republicans would actually want pence so maybe this is uh one, one of the times that made the impeachment comes from your same side which would be a, a crazy moment in political history um, it'd be very game of thrones right? it would be very game of thrones and if you had the red wedding it would be like the republican wedding and uh trump and so trump was the joffrey and he's gone is that what i'm hearing well, um, and <laughs> well, well, yeah. It, it in some respects, like Trump is more frustrated with his own party than the Democrats. The Democrats have already picked their side, and they're like sort of you know they're they who they are there, like they're not going to move. But the Republicans have been the ones that have been the most difficult to actually get anything done. And you know, Trump isn't helping his own cause because of the the communications issue. So I think this is this is you could argue from just a intellectual standpoint that this is probably one of the first like quote unquote third party presidents. A lot of his key staff is, is Democrats. Uh, and are they like, holdovers or are they, because uh, that's like, one of like the big issues too, right? Is he has not been able to fill uh, a lot of the positions that there's still a lot of Obama holdovers in the administration, right? Well, but, but, but just look at like, you know, uh, Mnuchin sort of like a, a, a moderate Republican, but he's, he supported a lot of Democrats. You got Gary Cohen, who's a Democrat. Uh, you have uh, Ivanka and Jared, who are both Democrats. Uh, you have uh, well, Scaramucci was also a Democrat. So, oh, so the yeah, the Mooch. Uh, he had such a that's such a good nickname too. Uh, well, it would be, but you want with a guy last name like Scaramucci, you want to have like a ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the White House. More, yeah, day, more Italian. More you Italian. want something very like, look, we're gonna do a great deal, tremendous. The most shrewd, the most cunning, the greatest deal you've ever seen. That's my uh, godfather, uh, godfather Trump. But but to your point, Aaron, about um, just going back to, to what what Schumer would want. I think you're right. I think I think if you're the Democrats, you want Trump because Trump loves also to put out the little feelers of like, well, all right, if the Republicans aren't going to work with me, then I'll just go do a big infrastructure package, huh? How would you like that, Chuck? And I think he cozies up to the Democrats and. I think Trump has a lot. I mean, Trump is a I don't know if you would agree with this, but Trump to me seems like a, a centrist Democrat. Like, I don't consider him a conservative. Now, his appointment of Gorsuch to the Supreme Court was a conservative pick. But generally, I think Trump has a track record of, you know, cozying up to uh, uh, the you know the left and um, some of the more progressive ideals, uh, specifically if you look at his track record and who he's associated with. So. I think you want to be careful of, of uh, following Maxine Waters on this because I think Pence, uh, a man, Pence has a couple things going for him, right? In addition to being a former radio host, well-spoken, serious, uh, he also doesn't tweet, and that's a huge. That's you. Know, I don't know. Do you want to cut off the tweet lifeline right now? 
I mean, that's the best thing that the left has going is Trump's just every day there's a package. It's like a, a, a really cool uh, Silicon Valley startup. You know, you can get food in a box. You can get Blue Apron meals. You can get clothes in a box. Trump delivers every morning a new statement that can just take everything off message and go completely a different direction. In the in in the future, we can't, we can't see the future, but maybe in in some weird spaghetti drawn deduction and induction that he is playing this ultimate strategic game with his Twitter account that that he knows that he reaches one, it riles up his base, which is like most people estimate 38 to 39% of the electorate, which is a lot, by the way, for everyone listening. That's that's a very powerful base of people who are very loyal. Maybe it's just a long-run game because he knows that it pulls bad, that the, the Democrats all they do is talk about Trump uh, because that's essentially why, also one reason they lost, 20, lost 2016 is that, all Hillary did was like, basically, I'm going to coast and say, oh, look, this guy, he's a racist, misogynist, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and I'm going to win. So maybe he's playing that. Maybe he thinks that this is going to be good for him in the end, and he's just, you know, sort of like a sacrificial lamb, part of the process, and and he can sort of get the things done that, that he wants to get done. Um, however, as Ben Shapiro says, like, there are sort of like two lenses at which at which to view the presidency. One is just incompetence. The other one is with malcontent. And a lot of Democrats want to view it as a perspective. Of he's just so strategically awesome and is just so evil. While Ben views a lot of it as just like, oh, he's just kind of he's just kind of in- incompetent. So, so I, yeah, I, <laughs> I don't like yeah. any of these options. But it's, I mean, so I guess. It's everyone's always trying to diagnose like Trump's psyche, but it's like this. The most I I would argue, and tell me if you agree with this, Aaron, but I would argue that the policy failures that are those have all been frustrating. But at the end, the government is just a government that ends up not doing a lot, even if it's not policy that one side particularly wants. That is not inherently a failure, right? That is uh, the government is supposed to be slow and methodical, and you know sometimes it's more worrisome when you have uh, the pendulum swinging and you had you know revolution coming in and out, right? So. I am not particularly heartbroken about um, about the government not getting as much stuff done. I, I would love to see tax reform. I would love to see health care reform. I would love to see some big, bold ideas and some actual substantive debate that's not, you know, brought off message by him targeting his attorney general or his, his tweets. But uh, the thing that seems to be inexcusable, and this is what I think, and I'm wondering if this is going to hurt him, is just uh, Trump's failure in the key moments— to, he has danced with this. He, it's. I just. I don't understand why he can't come out directly and condemn all the 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 horrible protests, the 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 awful white supremacy going on, the the marches and stuff. Is it just? Is he just so fragile that he needs everyone's approval and he can't? I've I've been I've been racking my brain trying to get. Is it a political move? Is he saying I look? Is he just? Is he saying, look, I, I don't want to alienate any of my base? Or is it deeper of like, I everyone loves me, they have to love me, and I'll never turn on anyone who openly loves me? We know he'll turn on you in a heartbeat if you say one negative thing. But, I mean, why can't he just come out and unify the nation in this, like, the the, the thing that people expect most from their president? Like, what is going on well, with him? I, I think it's just more basic than that. I, I, I highly doubt, highly, highly, highly as in, I think it's incorrect to assume that he's somehow supporting David Duke, white supremacy, or any of that stuff. He, he, has, he has very little... Sure, you can point to like this, this rando uh, 
Justice Department case that happened in the 1980s, in which he was broadly included in a bunch of different real estate developers, but discriminating against uh, black renters. But again, it was a, a wide net of people were also included into that. And you just look at his track record, his 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 what he's done as a quote unquote Republican in New York. He was a very uh, embraced lots of the different minorities uh, from from like LGBT issues to to black. So like I. I it is it, to me it is a stretch of the imagination to somehow assume that he is like supporting actually proactively supporting most of the criticism and these are coming from people who are conservative uh would be the fact that he's just not specific in the way he speaks and and he said like it's true like you can in that you know the famous tuesday press conference right where he, where he quote unquote lost his cool i don't think he lost it was just trump being trump and we you know try to be fair to him, and he was just being who he was, and like he was annoyed, but it wasn't like oh my gosh, she just started screaming at everybody, which is how the media, you know, the media was fragile. Oh no, he was like insulting. Again, get over that. Like you know, you you have a big microphone, you're fine. CNN, you can take the beating. The uh, it, he he did give he did explicitly talk about how he wasn't uh, he condemned all of the all of the. Uh, the Nazis, white supremacists, all that stuff that was going on. Uh, his point he was trying to make, which is intellectually correct, is that the Antifa is, which is anti-fascist alt-left movement, which has not been talked about. I mean, Reuters, or sorry, not Reuters, AP just now started using the term alt-left, even though you and I have known living in California, the alt-left has been around much longer than just Charlottesville, uh, are extremely violent, are not American, do not believe in classical liberalism and are essentially, even though they call themselves anti-fascists, it's just, they're basically very similar to fascist movements that happened in Europe. And, and the Antifa's exist in Europe for a number of years. Uh, and, you know, they've been anything protesting um, Davos and the Bilderbergs to, uh, they are one of the, the, the most, you know, violent protesters in, in, uh, in Europe, and, and a, lot, a lot of the Antifa were part of the, the Greece protests. Remember, not so long ago, we thought Greece was a failed state. A lot of that was the Antifa that were, were, were revolting against the fact that, that they were going to lose their social safety net. So Trump is right that this thing is, that these things exist just as much as, you know, the, the neo-Nazis and white supremacists are not American either and, like, do not believe in American values. These people also don't either and is not being covered. And he wants to highlight that. But what do you gain as being the president of the United States for highlighting that? You probably gain nothing. So and then you confuse the debate and people are like, what is he actually saying? And then you like layer in the fact of the media is already against him. So he, people who defend him can find something in the same speech as people who don't like him because he's so loose in the way he talks and he's not very specific and narrow. Like watching, watching Mike Pence speech versus watching – Donald Trump speak it's like two different it's like two different worlds from the same administration Shakespeare and a kindergartner you know Trump's Trump's got oh that's that's a little too harsh that's a little too well look the bottom line is I you know and sometimes there is a I, I actually had a friend articulate this the other day he said sometimes there's the presidential thing to do and then there's the right thing to do and sometimes the two might conflict right and so on one hand I really do appreciate that he called out um, the left, uh, the alt left and the violence going on there. But I just think it's what's frustrating to me is it's just so simple. Like you come out, you condemn it. You say, look, because also I just this is I think this is a small 
a small subset. I, at least I hope it is. God, I hope it is. But he comes out and he says, look, this is awful. I have no tolerance for this. I don't want your support. If you if you hold to any of these awful racist attitudes, I don't want you like you. We don't want you. That's un-American. We condemn it in the strongest language. All right. All right. Moving on, though. Right. However, this violence showcase, we have a bigger problem in our country is our politics are getting violent. Right. The uh, after the election, some of the marches got violent. Um, the uh, and then the you know, then move into let's look at, you know, Berkeley. Right. The fact that we can't have speakers uh, come and speak for fear of violence. I said that's a we have a bigger problem right now going on. And so to me, I just went on, I wanted a, a, a condemn, like a quick condemn, like call it out. It's just awful. It's heartbreaking. And then condemn the left right after that. But the problem is, it's just the language he chose. It's, um, you know, it's, it's just so it, because it wasn't harsh enough against that, I think it comes across and, and I'm with you. It's, uh, the media is unfair to him sometimes, but uh, he just the one thing that got me and Ben brought this up is he's he's like, look, I wanted to wait for all the facts, and and Ben was like, this is a guy who ran around for years and said oh, Obama ben was who? born in Kenya, ben Shapiro. Shapiro, yeah, 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 and he said this is not a guy who waits for the facts to talk, right? <laughs> I I thought that was a really good point by Ben Shapiro. So, anyways, I just wanted I wanted Trump to condemn it harder, and then uh, but to. Uh, he is actually factually accurate. We've been dealing also with uh, violence um, with the alt left too, um, which has been a, a problem at Berkeley and some of the, the stuff that's going on at Berkeley should be talked about a lot more because there's some those those protests against um, uh, Ann Coulter. Um, I don't even sure if she actually got to speak there, but uh, there were a couple others that turned violent pretty quickly out there, uh, and that's a, and that's a big problem too. We just we can't have this violence in our politics, man. This is bad news. Well, we need to, as a, as a society, move away from this motivated reasoning, mind reading BS that people in the media are doing. And as in, well, did he really say that, or didn't? Wasn't he dog whistling this? And I was I was being interviewed by a publication out here, and the the opposing view of it, and it was like a basically like a, a debate, and it was it was a radio interview. And, and she kept saying like, oh, like, well, this person is, you know, was dog whistling, was leading people on. And, and like, my response was like, well, well, I'm happy that she has a, 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 a psychic power and being able to read what people actually uh, think that they're trying to say rather than actually just what's being said. Because uh, she can, she can actually discover author intent rather than dealing with actually what's being, being presented and, and having, being a textual critic, studying hermeneutics, which is the the process of actually exegesis, the process of deciphering text and like understanding what people mean when they write something, if, trying to walk down the path of being able to read people's motivations is a dangerous, relativistic, basically uh, the the sort of uncharitable way of describing it is like lazy way of actually understanding what's going on. And our society is obsessed with it now. Like we, we we read into things and we try to find some intrigue and narrative, and 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 I see it all the time in, in reporting by, by very by reporters that I like and people that I follow, rather than just dealing with and reporting was actually being done and just said like here are the actual facts of on, on the ground, not lacing in this 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 broad narrative that you think is going on. Like let readers determine that that's what used to be the media but now they think it's media they, they think media thinks its job is to, to draw strings uh and create knots between things when that inserts so much bias uh and so much of without even knowing it because because you're drawing in these deductions that may may not exist because you're covering a story for like a couple of days and somehow you think that you know enough 
to read people's intentions when it's difficult enough to read our friends' intentions or our family's intentions and we're around them all the time, yet you, the journalists, think that you can discover something grand and insightful by talking to four people and, and, and writing an article over the course of a couple hours. It's a, it's a gross arrogance and so much ego. It, it's hard to, to hard to tolerate. Absolutely. It also works well in relationships. If you're ever dating someone, you definitely don't want to pay attention to what they're saying. You want to look to the deeper meaning. Like, why do you want me to do the dishes? What's your play? What are you after? Yeah, it's, um, it's weak. It's weak. <laughs> and, the, and the thing is, and like you touched on, the thing that we have to get away from, too, is uh, the angrier I am, the more my violence is justified. And we are seeing that across the board, right? I mean, it's like, it, you know, you, you can't like we're supposed to be in a civilized society and no matter how awful people say things um, and they are going to solve things like we cannot descend into violence with each other. And so it's that's that's something we're seeing, um, you know, on both sides. And it's really that's that's the scary part. Right. The angrier I am, the more I'm justified in taking action uh, to do something about it. And um, that's uh, you know, we have to we have to find a way to to heal together and uh, be able to respect differences and at the same time be able to strongly condemn, um, you know, rhetoric that is fundamentally um, anti-American. So it's a tough time. Man. I know a lot of people are really affected by this. So uh, we got to we just got to pray for our country, man. And, uh, Amen. you know, just do the best we can. But uh, obviously um, we have talked so much and we know, folks, that the saddest time of the podcast is when I say goodbye. Aaron will stay on and just whisper sweet nothings to you. But don't pay attention to what he's saying. Pay attention to what you think he means. What, That's what, the point. Well, we should we should end uh, on a high note, not encouraging people to read each other's minds. That hey, <laughs> hey, North Korea is not going to bomb Guam. So hey, props. And it kind of rhymes too. Like yeah, you know, basically that is one of the few things that's going on, and that's why if Trump could just get his communications act together, Kim Jong Un came out and said, "I have thought about it, and after much consideration, I shall not bomb Guam." Thank you. That is all. Peace. <laughs> Hashtag no war, right? And that's a big deal, right? I mean, I don't, I mean, it's because normally North Korean rhetoric goes like, you know, if the U.S. makes any move, right, then we will unleash the seven scrolls and our and the our ancestors will come out riding, you know, galleons from Valhalla and descend upon the U.S. locusts, right? That's, that's typical, right? I see Trump's actually been training in North Korean rhetoric, right? When he came out and mentioned, because, you know, communication is very important. So when he responded that we would come after them with fire and fury, you know that really got through because we have not threatened fire and fury at the same time <laughs> to an enemy before. I've, so this is a big this I is just, a big deal. I just love how you just mix Nordic, yep, <laughs> Nordic, and then Asian or mysticism that's, plus Christian theology <laughs> in one sentence. That's impressive. That's right. I'm trying to be as culturally insensitive and uh, progressive as uh, because you know, Aaron, the arc of history bends forward towards progress. Is whatever that, that means. Is that is that, that something was, President Obama said? Yeah. I don't even know of, what that means. <laughs> I don't either, but it's pretty. It sounds impressive, though. I'll pull up the quote. I may, I may be butchering it, but um, no, this is like I said. I don't. I mean, I could be wrong here, but I don't remember the last time uh, North Korea said like I forget the exact quote, but it was like North Korea has decided it will not attack Guam. <laughs> like it's like a, it's almost like a kid who gets caught in his like bluff, and he's like, you know what? I am gonna go to the party. I'm not going to enjoy myself, but I'm going to go. Don't worry about it, you know. And that's it's like, okay, well, that's good. So tensions have eased a little bit there. But uh, that's an area where I think Trump's uh, action in Syria, I think, communicates a, a big step forward to uh, to China to saying, hey, we need to you need to get North Korea under control. 
And I think other I think people generally in other cultures have no idea how to read Trump. We don't, obviously. I have no idea what's going on. So uh, I think uh, from a foreign policy standpoint, this may be the one area where having a little bit of all this chaos domestically kind of pays off, right? Can you imagine being the the cabinet members of other uh, leaders in other countries trying to explain the behavior to them? Ending on a high note is is always good. I mean, the the world can be a better place, and we can make it so. That's right. But you know what? There's a lot of good stuff out there. For example, grilled cheese. It's amazing. Have one today, folks. In Game of Thrones. Oh, don't even get me started on that. We'll talk about the next episode, right? There's so obviously Game of Thrones is a veiled political commentary on what's going on. So <laughs> we can discuss that next time. But uh, anyways, crawl into a vug. And make sure you're inveterately opposed to violence of all types in our civil discourse. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time. Peace.